It's John. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. We had our biggest week yet last week, thanks to Christopher Thorne and Blind Melon. That was our most popular episode by a long ways. And I mention that in case some of you who may have discovered the podcast through that episode, if you stuck around, welcome. We, uh, we're thankful that you're here. This podcast really, we consider it sort of a, it's a gift to music lovers who love all kinds of music and find the stories of the underdogs interesting. That's what, that's what interests me, and that's what I try to shoot for. If that interests you and you're just discovering us, I would encourage you to go into iTunes and go back into the archives. There's 16 episodes to enjoy. Some really good ones in there, too. While you're there, leave us a review, please. Please subscribe. Hopefully this is a, uh, this is a series of stories that interest you that you'd want to come back to more often. Find our Facebook page. Drop me a line, like it so you can stay connected. Find us on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. You can email me if you have ideas of people you'd like me to track down to be interviewed at thehustlepod at gmail.com. All right, that's the business. Now, this week we are talking to Johnny Vatos, who is the drummer of, let's face it, one of the most beloved bands of all time, Oingo Boingo. I've loved that band for years, and I, I gotta admit, I kind of homer it up on this one and uh, I really make no apologies for it because my thinking is if people like Bill Simmons can turn every conversation no matter what it's about into something related to the Boston Celtics or Mark Marin can bro down with every other Jew that ever comes on WTF then I should be able to pepper some Salt Lake City conversations into my interviews. For whatever reason Oingo Boingo was huge in Salt Lake City where I grew up, still are. So we talk about that, and most importantly, we talk about what Johnny has done since that band ended in 1995. I mean, let's be honest here, that was mostly Danny Elfman's vision. He's gone on to be one of the most successful and sought-after film score composers alive today. So clearly he went on to bigger and better things. Where does that leave the rest of the band? And I wanted to talk to Johnny about that. I wanted to find out what he's been doing, how he felt about that. He handled himself very professionally. You can tell that he has a lot of respect for Danny. They still are connected in some ways in terms of business and in terms of life and probably friendship too. He handles himself very professionally. This was a, this was a big one. I was nervous. More nervous than any of the other interviews I've ever done. He called me from his home in LA.
Johnny Vados. It is an honor to speak with you because um, Boingo Boingo has been a favorite band of mine for, you know, since back to school. I, I think I was thinking about when it first hit me, and um, that would have been the moment because when I remember very distinctly sitting in the theater watching Back to School, seeing you guys up there, and I had heard the name because, um, you know, it was a particular kind of kid at school. I think that was 1987, so I would have been 14. And there was a particular kind of kid that would um, kind of sprinkle the name Boingo Boingo into conversations, and you'd think, boy, that's a, that's a crazy name. Who are these people? And I remember seeing it in the movie theater during Back to School and it clicking for me. And um, something else, I'm originally from Salt Lake City. And yeah. you probably know this. For whatever reason, you guys were huge in Salt Lake City. And yeah. uh, you, I, in fact, the one and only time I ever managed to see Oingo Boingo, unfortunately, was your farewell show a week be- in Salt Lake, a week before your actual farewell show. And yeah. um, so I, I'm curious, do you have any concept as to why Oingo Boingo would have been popular in, of all places, Salt Lake City, Utah? Uh, it's the it's the perfect place of uh, Mormonism and total freak uh, freakazoid people that, that love to be out in the mountains and commune with nature. There's there's I know so many great jazz musicians and uh, there was a, a really famous friend of mine that lived there who's now passed on uh, Ramon who owned the the red iguana we used to go hang uh-huh. out out there. Oh, and, best Mexican oh, food anywhere. Yeah, the best. So, you know, it, it was always a great party town. And uh, the chicks uh, were, you know, that hung out with us were nasty. And they were from the church. I'm just saying. I'm just, it's just saying it just worked out that way. It was really fun. And uh, oh, during oh, my first, first marriage, so I can talk about that now. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> classic. Oh, uh, see, I, that's so funny. I hear stuff like that. Like, you know, there's this underground sort of party going on, even among, you know, people who claim to be kind of strong Mormons or whatever, but they're getting sure. down behind the scenes. And you of all, of course, you of all people would know that firsthand. That's crazy. <laughs> right yeah, that on. Was, that was good. Yeah. I, uh, I've been thinking about this. In fact, I even put it out on Facebook to my friends. Why, first of all, what are your top three favorite Oingo Boingo songs? And then, um, secondly, why do you suppose, if you're from Utah, why do you suppose Wango Boingo was so big there? And there were a bunch of different theories floating around. One was that you just basically, you guys got a lot of radio play. The local alternative radio station there loved you guys and played you nonstop. And there were other bands that were like that that just became very um, kind of, uh, we just loved those bands that got a lot of play like you guys. The other thing that I was thinking about is I think that secretly, and you, you just took this further than I would have, most Mormons kind of want to rebel a little bit, at least when they're young. Sure. And, and Oigo Boingo, um, your, your themes may have been kind of dark or, you know, a lot of death or, or darkness or creepy songs about creepy things, but it was more edgy than dangerous. And so, yeah. it, and and the darkness, the dark was almost so cartoonish that it was actually more light and fun than something scary or you know sinful. And so, it provided this comfortable area for people to feel like they could rebel in, and but still be themselves, not feel too far out of their comfort zone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. That's excellent. Wild. Excellent. There you go. There. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah. So, um, so let's. I want to. There are two things I promised myself I wasn't going to ask you about. Number one, I'm not interested in hearing the origin story for Oingo Boingo. That information is readily available, and I've heard you tell it a million times. Secondly, I don't want to talk about Danny Elfman too much. That's his business. You're not here as a spokesman for him. I want to get to know you and your particular story. So, the thing that I that this podcast is really about is how do you maintain a career in music? And so I'm curious, from your point of view, when the band ended in 1995, what have you done until now to sort of continue to pay the bills? 
Well, you know, it, it the story goes back even further back than when I was in Oingo Boingo. It goes back to when I first started playing music. My mom uh, told me at a very early age, look, uh, if you play one style of music, you're going to have to get a job, a day job. Mm-hmm. But if you play all kinds of music, you won't have to get a day job because you'll always be working. And so from that time forward, I always played all kinds of types of music. And so I was working doing pitch shows, recording, doing all kinds of stuff before I was even in Oingo Boingo. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, uh, I did some early recording on the Forbidden Zone, which was a soundtrack. I was just a hired hired hand. And I knew Steve Bartek, so he got me out of the session. And that's how they heard me play there. And then they heard me play with Tony Basil. And then they asked oh, me wow. to be in, in Oingo Boingo. And oh. so I, I, Oingo Boingo got to be such a full-time job, I had to put aside all my uh, all my extracurricular activities, musical, that were really kind of dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. After, the ba- after the band broke up, like in 95, um, I-, I had all of that to fall back on. I, I started going on the road with Tito and Tarantula. We were, mm-hmm. I, we were in that movie From Dusk Till Dawn, and we were oh, in I the, know. the Titty Twister bar scene, and that sure. was just... That turned out to be such a cult classic that even Rammstein did a parody on it in one of their... Uh, <laughs> One of their videos. Really? So we were, yeah. So from '95 to about till 9/11, for about six years, I was on tour with Tito and Tarantula. After that, I, toward the end of the touring, more toward 2000, I was starting to get accosted in Europe. A lot of people thought I was a Kurd or Turkish, and wow, well, you know, they were. And I go, no, no, I'm from Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I pulled the. I pulled right. pull the Mexican card and tried to uh-huh. help them. But it, it became too serious. So after 9-11, I got too paranoid because I was very anti-war. And we uh-huh. were going to be we were doing our third album, and MTV was going to do a whole spread and interview with us. And it would have been in uh, late November, and I just ran away from the project because I would have known. I Tito? No, yeah, I ran away from the Tito band because I would have been – you know, I would have been branded on the on the, all the TSA websites. You know, yeah, I would, yeah. I would have been some sort of anti-war knucklehead drummer. Sure. So I just I just went home and uh, I stopped flying. And I when I came back home, I started playing out in Compton with big bands because they were the they were the ones that let me play right away. Some okay. really nice bands I met. Um, then I started playing. Um, Casuals. I started playing rock and roll situations, and then I met uh, the McCrarys, and they. Uh, I met them at a uh, summer solstice concert up in the hills with uh, Ray Manzarek, and uh, it was just kind of a wow. wild. We ended up playing in a band together, and uh, I started uh, by about 2005. I started. I figured, well, it's been 10 years. Somebody should be playing some good Boingo music, mm-hmm. so that's I kind of launched out and started to do that, and I asked. Bear and his brother Brendan, and and now his wife Rhea, and and his kind of crowd from USC to help me out. So then uh, we did these Halloween shows. Brendan starts doing TV work and has me do a couple of seasons of uh, um, Star Galactica. And, yeah. And then we went on the road. We actually took that entire concert experience on the road with like four Tycho drummers and me in the middle of it. It was just. It was such an incredible experience. Steve wow. was playing, and uh, it was it was a great, great fucking moment for me. Yeah, and, yeah. So you know, I then I kept playing big band stuff. I I do, um, you know, I like American classic music. I love swing music. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of my uh, a lot of my uh, Euro American friends <laughs> do not mm-hmm. understand. And when I when I like swing music, you know, I even like some of the old forties swing music. It's because, you know, um, even though they played it all their lives and their parents played it all their lives, to in a in a Hispanic household in a Mexican household, you know that that, that was that was kind of unusual and kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember I remember playing uh, one of the first times in my own town that I grew up in, which was San Gabriel. And, uh-huh. and they would never, they wouldn't let you know when I was growing up they wouldn't let Mexican people go to the uh, the country club unless you were uh, 
you know, unless you were rich oh, work, and famous. Work there. Oh, okay. <laughs> or unless, or unless so you worked there. Work there. Yeah. Yeah, unless you worked there. No, that, that's a little bit more like it. So yeah. and there, I, there I was like 40 years later in a tuxedo, which, which yeah. was probably just about 10 years ago, you know, playing a little swing thing. And it wow. was just kind of... You know, all the, the I think I think the point I want to relate to all of this stuff is that is that I love music so much, and there's so much that keeps me going. Uh, there are snare drum rudiments. There are all kinds of. I love jazz. I love big band. Yeah. I have an avant-garde jazz quartet that plays freestyle music. Really, just you know, just to do it because it's got to come yeah. out. You know? Yeah. And then, and then I write and I sing. A couple of my songs have been uh, used. Um, in a couple of movies. Uh, really? Of, what movies? You know, I, I don't... <laughs> you don't know? I, I don't know right now. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, but they're out know. there. You're they're so, out. You have solo material that's featured in movies that are out there. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, you know, they're, okay. they're, low, they're low budget movies about artists and different things like that. But, sure. You know, they're, okay. They're, but it's out there. Yeah. And it's you. Yeah, as me. That's amazing. So I just, huh. you know, I think the point is just, you, you, I, I never knew, I never could have ever imagined I was going to be in a band called Oingo Boingo. Yeah. I, just knew I wanted to play all the best music I could. In the 70s, I was the house drummer for the Midnight Special. I was actually, really? yep, for a year and a half, I, went, I was on the road with Helen Redding. I am woman, hear me roll. In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me down again Well, yes, I'm wise But it's wisdom for the pain Yes, I paid the price But look That's right. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, played all kinds of great concerts with Barry Manlow, Frank, you know, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, played all these. Yeah. Traveled all over the world playing all that stuff. Wow. And um, so it's, it almost it almost sounds like Oingo Boingo is um, is the outlier. If, if there had been no Oingo Boingo, you would have been a professional drummer getting whatever job or gig playing whatever kind of music that interested you, you probably would have just done that for your whole life. And you would have built a career and paid your bills doing that forever and probably been happy with it, right? Exactly. Absolutely interesting. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, You know, Oingo Boingo had such a singular style. Obviously, there's never been anybody like them. And I wondered... Um, I will ask you a couple of questions that relate to Danny Elfman, but not specifically about him. But would you say that the style was primarily, was it his uh, his dream and his focus? Or was the band sort of all feeling the same style and sort of contributing uh, individually to putting it out there? Well, it, you know, we were all shackled by the electronicness and um and the metronomic stuff that was really exact and all the overproduction of stuff. And, and we were trying to trying to walk that line of uh, a technical precision and yet human feeling, yet um, punk, yet um, musically interesting to uh, not to talk down to the, to the audience when we were at the same time right. asking them to accept some interesting storylines. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? I, 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 I have a staunch belief that people just don't, and I'm one of them, don't pay that much attention to lyrics. Because if they did, they might be horrified by some Oingo Boingo stuff. But anyway. Mirror, oh. 
I think the style was uh, was pretty much um, it, it was every, every everyone made sure that they put their stink on it, and and, yeah. and everybody everybody had a say in everyone else's part. If they didn't like, if the horn players didn't like what I was doing with my left arm or that symbol or that thing, or they would let me know. And if I didn't like what the horns were doing here, and if, you know, if I thought the guitar, you know, everyone had a, everyone was involved with everything that was going on. Good. And good. and through and through Danny's great judgment, he let us let us do it. You know. <laughs> good. Good. Okay. So you, I mean, you felt like a contributor to those albums and to that song. Um, Maybe I don't know if equal equal member is the right word, but you felt like you were being heard. You felt like you had a voice in that band, and that uh, you were contributing to the overall success and the the sound of the band. Oh, oh yes, yes, at all times. Oh, good. If you're not if you're not that committed and you and you cannot be that part of a project, then it's time to move on. You know, it's like I agree. If, yeah. If if there would have been, in fact, here's a funny story. You know. I really pressed him to the grind to the grind about it to make sure that I was the right guy that was there. And there's a really terrible thing they do in Los Angeles. And when you have a really big, uh, big time group, they can, they can, they can change, they can drop a drummer at the heartbeat and get another drummer, you know? And so every, every album I go, okay, you motherfuckers, come on. You're going to get somebody else and we're going to let me kick your fucking ass again. Like, oh, no, don't say that, Sean. Right, uh, right. And so, oh, what happened, so it came back to me one time this really famous drummer came to see me play. I was named sure remain nameless until my book comes out. Okay. And, he, and he goes, hey, you see that guy? You go, oh, yeah, he was, he's like famous from all over. He goes, yeah, well, he tried to get your gig. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, you know, John can't ever make it, man. Make sure you you call me, you know, because I can really do some great work with you guys. No way! So wow. I was like, yeah, you don't do that. It's like totally rude. Yeah. <laughs> Still though, that's cool. You know, yeah, I was so, thinking. Oh, go ahead. No, please continue. No, no, no. I just bust. I just busted them on that, but they were okay. they were very, very kind to me. Good, good. You know, I was thinking. Like I said, I put it out on Facebook. What everyone's top three favorite Boingo Boingo songs were. And I realized that you are the reason why my top three are what they are, which is, number one, I think it would have to, and this changes depending on my mood, but it's typically When the Lights Go Out, Wild Sex, and Home Again, I think are my three favorite Oingo Boingo songs. When the lights go out, everybody runs to the When the lights go out, but the night is afraid, baby, 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 baby. When the lights go out, everybody starts to pray, starts to pray. Monsters and madmen, welcome alive. And the dead start walking, there's no place to hide, there's no place to hide, there's no place to hide. Beyond those are my favorite, and in each instance, it's your powerful drumming, and it's that driving, that driving incessant hard rhythm that uh, that I can't get enough of. 
And so it was really interesting for me when I was thinking about talking with you specifically um, because I thought, that's so interesting because he's really the one who made Oingo Boingo. You're the reason I love Oingo Boingo is what I'm saying. And it didn't Uh, dawn on me until just this week, just the other day, in fact. Um, And I was curious, do you have a – this may be wrong. Nobody ever seems to want to answer this question, but do you have a particular favorite? Is there something that you really get off on playing, an old uh, Boingo song? You know, it could be a deep cut, but is there one that you really get off on? No, you know, there there are so many cool ones. The two you, the three you named are like killer drum tracks and um and yes, you know, I I have that driving, you know, I I'm pushing and pushing and pushing as much as I can. And and yet maintain some sort of ground level force. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What happens? But it to my to my detriment, people think that I'm a big gorilla. But I, I ended up I ended up I had the best drum teacher in the world, a guy named Freddie Gruber. Taught everybody from Neil Peart down to Dave Yeah, Reckles. he's the guy in that uh, Rush documentary, right? Right, right. So yeah, Freddie, okay. so I, I, I can know how to play really hard and play relaxed. The other night, some guy slammed me on the back and punched my shoulder, and I do have a couple of rotator cuff injuries. Oh, my gosh. And so wow. I, I went ballistic on the guy, you know. But yeah. it ended... It ended our, our encore set, you know? Yeah. Huh. So you wouldn't so, say that you have a particular favorite and I don't uh, one to no, play anyway. There's no. so many. You know, there's like um you know, you really got me is always killer to play. Um okay. you know. I love um you know, there's there's just all these really cool sultry beat um Yeah. Um New generation, I love playing that. Yeah, I love- good one. Feel the power. Feel the power. Baptized in electronic water. Prodigal sons and beautiful daughters with smiles and bows and rosy cheeks and the righteous back. Death to the freaks, you feel the power. Feel the power. His voice sounds reassuring, completely firm, so alone. He's lived a thousand times before and seen the world from shore to shore. The calmness and tranquility that oozes credibility, with the wisdom and the confidence that seem to speed up common sense. And it makes you feel just like a babe. Daddy holding you tight and safe. Hush, babe, everything's alright. Daddy's gonna stay with you tonight. Now he's got you by the balls. He can sell you anything at all. The morality, diamond rings, genocide, to magazines, from religion to cosmology, to the end of a democracy. It's a new generation. It's divine inspiration. Always ready to follow. Never willing to swallow. All the doctor's prescriptions. You know, there's all kinds of, yeah, you're yeah. right, when the lights go out, um, um, all it's those. so big. Friends Drums go, on when the lights go out is so good. So big, you know? Yeah. Coming from your hands. It's amazing. Yeah, one, one of the little tricks I would do is I would, I would figure out the drums that I was going to play, and then I would take down all the other drums. So that would oh, just, really? be, just be those drums. You know, sometimes guys leave their drums up and, and I always thought that was a, a good idea of how good, why the yeah. reason they sound so good. They just have yeah. more air to breathe. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Um, do you have, I hope this doesn't offend you, but it, it does, to, it, in my mind, and I think I speak for a lot of fans, Boingo Boingo should have been much bigger. You guys were sort of in the middle of like mainstream success and cult status. You were like right in the center almost your whole time. You know what I mean? And your sound was so singular. And I always wondered why, you know, why not more legitimate top 40 pop hits? And I actually have a theory about this. I wondered if that was one of the reasons why you guys appeared on so many soundtracks. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? We're 
and that meets a mass audience and they get turned on to Oingo Boingo, maybe that will sort of, you know, take them to the next level. Do you, am I way off base in this or do you, uh, do you have any concept of that or am I completely crazy in my theory? Well, um, that's, that's a, <clears throat> can be a, a common theory. I, I think that the reason band never went anywhere than, than, than what it did was because after each album, Danny put a restriction on touring. And so he, oh. would, he would go, we're, we're going to promote this album for six weeks. And after that, we're done. I'm not riding in a no damn bus and, yeah. and driving myself crazy. So we would go on the road and people would go, oh my God, this is so incredible. And the, yeah. and the promoter at the end of the night would go, okay, great. So we'll see you guys in three months, right? No. Interesting. Well, when can we see you? Well, we'll let you know when the road again. So yeah. the way you start selling out all over the United States is you go back in three months, you sell out yeah. that one, then you go back in another three months with a new album, and you can't even get in. You can't even get yeah. and that and that's why the band never really got any further than it did. It was it was the commitment to uh, actually promotion and you know servicing huh. an album in a crowd. That's yeah. all it was. Yeah. Interesting. I never thought of that. Was that a unanimous decision within the band to restrict it like that? Or was that, did you feel sort of hamstrung by that at any time? I guess, wait, wait, if wait, I ever wait, ask wait, you anything you don't want to answer, by the way, just tell me and we'll edit it out. Yeah, I got to ask my cat if that's okay to answer. Can I ask? Tater, Tater, can I answer that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can answer that. No, like I said earlier, it was Danny's idea. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, I'm on the road. I, I love it. I love what sure. I do. Sure. I would imagine that would be kind of frustrating if you felt like you were being kind of limited in what you could do. But, you know, moving on to the Oingo Boingo dance party.
being a leader i totally see why why the hell yeah. he hated people because you're the main guy that has to answer all the questions has to talk to everybody has mm -hmm. to do everything and what was i doing well i was sitting in the back smoking a joint drinking yeah. and we we're going you go get him danny that's yeah. right yeah. Up, make sure you yeah. give me some money too okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that out. guy's got to go do all the work, right? And you just show yeah, up. Yeah, so now I do all the work, and it's just a yeah. kind of a pain, pain in the neck. But it's it's worth it because the guys are great, and you know there yeah. you go. So I wanted to ask you about that too, and maybe your comments earlier about nine eleven inform as to why. I get the impression. I mean, I was looking at the the dance party's website. You're, you guys play a ton of shows, but they're all in Southern California. Do you ever right. get much further beyond that, or is that the idea? It's like whenever whoever wants to show up, we play a gig, and we know we're going to provide a good time, but we do it here locally without a lot of stress. <laughs> well, you know, things are changing now, and uh, we got new management. And uh, after all this time, Danny has uh, released a lot of restrictions uh, that mm. he was actually, actually not in favor of us going out and playing as much as we were. But uh, Really? No. Now this year we'll probably start traveling and start playing casinos and and hitting different uh, different parts of the country and different parts of the world and we'll we'll you know we'll do it see how it goes for two or three years and see what okay. happens. You know? We got to go back to Salt Lake City because you know oh, you'll sell that place definitely want to go back there. I love I really do. I love Park City. I love Salt Lake City. Great. That's great. I mean they love you there. So so you're limited. Again I I. I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but the limitations even on the Oingo Boingo dance parties touring has something to do with Danny Elfman's feelings about it? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I, wouldn't, well, I didn't it, know. It, works. it is and it kind of isn't. You know, is I, it because it's his songs and so he well, can dictate when yeah. people play them? Well, yes, and you know, you know, we actually still have a limited, con you know, we we still are legally tied together. Oh, okay, okay. And so, you know, he owns the name. Yeah. He's like used Oingo Boingo Dance Party by permission. Okay. And uh, and you know, he he um when we first started doing this, Danny was still living in the studio, and and now that he's relaxed a little bit and started coming out and performing, performing some of the music he's done in movies and stuff, it's made him probably feel, feel really good and, and, and uh, in a really good way because Danny's such a natural performer and such a talented motherfucker. Sure. You know, it, it just, it's, it, it just kills me that he's sitting in a room somewhere. I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, he's having a good time. And and his his music, you know, is it's just it's it's unbelievable. You know, yeah, the, the, it really the, is. Last time I talked to him, he he goes, "I'm writing three movies at once." And oh, and he, well, I can imagine. He's on like every other movie. He was he was, and he looked at me like, "Don't say anything funny because I'm thinking about a lot of things right now." <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'm really yeah. really serious. Oh man. Well, I mean, if anything, as a fan, it's it's as great as his soundtrack work is. It's really unfortunate that that's all we get of him. That voice and your band and your sound, you know, the world needs that. And it's a shame that it probably will never come back again because uh, yeah, it means a lot but, to people, you know. 
it's it's well some of that sentiment you know is kind of kind of a little tough to take because you know there's there's a lot of elements you know if it ever came back if we I'm sure if the band ever did anything, who knows it would sound completely different, and who knows if it's fair to even require that of you know of a yeah true. You know, uh, you know, someone's vocal cords. I never understood. I mean, I was beating myself senseless into into eternity, you know, three-and-a-half-hour yeah. shows, and we would macho out on each other. No, I'm not tired. No, I'm not tired. And Danny yeah. would keep singing and singing and singing. Those little two fucking little vocal cords of his. Yeah. We got, yeah. We got all our money's worth, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, true. And, and it would all – it would – if we're all kind of gentle souls as far as mm-hmm. when we get together as a band. So if whatever anybody would want to do, I'm sure we would all want to do yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm guessing then the decision to end was not a joint group decision. No, but but we we had been planning on it. I mean, we were forewarned. It wasn't just all of a okay. sudden. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Now tell me more about Tito and Tarantula. I love Cruzados. I think the Cruzados had an interesting story being, you know, basically a Mexican alternative rock group in the 80s. I have no letters to my face. Remember all You know, sort of a they broke they broke down some barriers. You know what I mean? Even though it didn't last very long, it uh, it made an impact, I think. But anyway, uh, a great impact. You know, when, when we were um, we had various people open for us at different times, whether it was missing persons or anybody that opened with us was went on the start of the Go Go's or uh-huh. whoever. But we also had the Cruzados open for us, and. Uh, it was such a great band, and I, I saw Tito that night. It was like we, I fell in love. I'm like, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to blow it really? up. Oh, yeah, he was killer, man, killing me. And so later later on, we uh, we met and hung out, and he, he asked me to be part of the uh, uh, house band for the Culture Clash TV show. And um, so it was John Avila, myself, and Tito, and Peter Atanasoff, and... And and we were uh, we were the house band there, and uh, that's where Robert Rodriguez saw us and got us into. Oh, I was going to ask you. Okay, that's yeah. how it came about. All right. Yep, that's how that came about through doing that TV show. And he saw, oh, look at that drummer! What a crazy looking guy! Why don't we put him in the movie? Okay, yeah. so awesome. So, so I got to play on play. I was in the movie. I got to play on the soundtrack with track with Tito. Uh-huh. Uh, I I got to share the drumming credits with uh, Nick Vincent. Another great drummer who also studied with Freddie Gruber and a great, cool. great friend of mine uh, wrote a lot of the stuff with Tito uh, in tar- on Tarantism and stuff. So okay, that was uh, that was that, and so I went on tour with Tito, and we you know we we were playing festivals and all kinds of stuff, uh, and they're just it, it's an amazing thing, you know, it's just a whole nother genre, mm-hmm. and once again, it's. You know, it's Mex-Tex, blues, rock, kind of funk, kind of Cajun, kind of weird, kind of funk. Yeah, killer stuff, though. And it's a testament to, like I was talking about earlier, you, well, you you were saying this, you'll play anything that you like, anytime, anywhere, it sounds like, and it's a testament to how multifaceted your talent is. I mean, if you're going from Helen Reddy to Oingo Boingo to Tito... Strolling in the night So white Wondering Why It's only After dark 
you're all over the spectrum. Swing music, everything else you were talking about. Now, are you still a member of that band? Because you're listed on their Facebook page, but not that I could find anyway on their website. And I knew you were in the movie, but I don't. I, what's the association there? Do you just play occasionally? Are you a full-time member? How does that work? Well, Cheeto, this year this year was a 20-year uh, anniversary of From Dusk Till Dawn, and so yeah. there was a whole push. Uh, with merchandise and uh, repressing and remastering and that whole dancing number. And so I'm kind of being brought back for that. Uh, now, what, what happens after this year, because I know the Oingo Boingo dance party is going to be a little bit more busy, but I would love to play with Tito some more. You know, okay. his, his daughter is playing bass, Lolita, and really? she's a musician herself. And she's just an amazing, amazing player because, you know, like my son who plays bass with the Oingo Boingo Dance Party, my son is an incredible bass player and knows who he's playing with. And she knows Tito so well that uh, it's just, he ha he hangs on her like a cheap suit. Mm -hmm. So here this really beautiful freestyle bass, you know, this chick playing mm -hmm. this hollow body bass and just... yeah right in there with Tito and me playing my style of slam. You know, it was yeah, really a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful sound. That's amazing. Um, a very odd question. I'll never forget this. So a couple of years ago, I, um, I was sitting on the couch watching TV, and I was thinking, man, where, whatever happened to the Cruzados? I would love to – I've had the idea for this podcast, by the way, for years – and it's because of thoughts like that. Whatever happened to these guys that I love so much? What's their story? And I'm sitting there watching TV, and I'm thinking about the Cruzados, and all of a sudden they appear on TV in the background of Top Chef. And I'm watching Top Chef, and they're, the, the, whatever the competition is is cooked somewhere there in Austin, I think. And Tito and his band and I don't know if this includes you, is playing in the background at some party they're catering. Were you there? Does any of this sound familiar to no, you? No, no, I wasn't at that party, no. Okay, all right. Well, never mind then. Anyway, I've, I've always thought how strange that was to have all people to be thinking about the Cruzados <laughs> and Tito, and here they show up on Top Chef of all things. You know what I mean? Well, when we're on the bus, I'll ask him about the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. That's crazy. So, um, okay, so then, so Tito and and Dance Party, and that's, and then these, you know, kind of one-off gigs here and there, that's basically how you pay the bills and have done for the last, you know, ever since the band ended, pretty much, right? Sure. Okay. Sure. Are there are there any more plans for you to put out any more solo stuff? Um, yeah, as soon as I'm, um, as soon as I get my studio up and running, which is just kind of all in pieces right now. But uh, yeah, probably okay. uh, probably when I get back from Europe, I'll be I'll start writing up again. Okay. Um, one thing I always like to ask my my guests is that, and again, keep in mind, most of the people I talk to are a lot more on the obscure side than you are. Most people know you. Um, but what was fame like at its peak? Was there a moment when you thought, when you think back on your career? And it doesn't necessarily even have to be Oingo Boingo, but when you think back on your career, what is the craziest, most I-can't-believe-that-happened-to-me memory that you have? Boy, man, there are so many of those. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, God, just trying to pick one that might be kind of a... Pick a couple like of them, a, whatever. That I could live with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, you know hearing your first... Hearing your first song on K Rock, being riding yeah. in the car, that was that, that's always a, a great first moment. You know, riding riding in your first Learjet back in the seventies and in the middle of a storm and almost almost crashing and dying. That's always a, a that's kind of a, a real high point. The S Festival with two hundred fifty thousand people. Oh sure, that's right. I like forgot about that. Yeah, looking like there's more people I've ever seen I've seen in my life. Yes, that wow. was. Uh, and, okay. and it goes down, it goes down to uh, another moment that I was just sharing with somebody. I was playing a duo with uh, 
Doug Lacey, and we were playing accordion and drums, and we were playing this guy's 85th wedding anniversary, and wow. I I can play so quiet and put so much air into the room that people, everybody starts jiving around on their shoulders, and they got to get up and dance. So this big guy gets up and dance, must have weighed about 400 pounds. He falls over and dies on the flat dance floor. No way, really? <laughs> you killed the guy. We you killed the guy. guy. You killed the guy with your plane. That's right, with brushes and then a and we send no him away. Way. <laughs> That's wild. That is crazy. Huh. Um, let's see. I had another. Oh, so this is a question I've always wanted to ask, and it's sure. very insidery. It's kind of a nerdy one. Uh, the song Something Isn't Right that's on the uh, Bachelor Party soundtrack uh-huh. sounds to me like a discarded rough draft of what would eventually become Who Do You Want to Be Today? identical but just with completely different lyrics same kind of same well, style was, same rhythm well they were written at the same time and uh there were two attempts at two different actual different attempts at writing one song mm-hmm. so yeah i you know the, there are some similarities but i don't think i okay. really don't think one can replace the other one if you knew okay if, because okay. there was a, we had two or three other tunes that you haven't really heard that were kind of like Sure, that. I bet. I bet. I, the reason I ask is because so often you hear anyway that the mute, that the songs get put, that get put on soundtracks are sort of like the discarded ones that, you know, the band, I'm not going to use this song, you guys can have it for the soundtrack. And so I wondered, assuming that that might have been the case for that particular soundtrack, if that song was kind of like a working version of Who Do You Want To Be that just got kind of Cut out of the mix. Who do you want to be today? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be today? Want to be just like someone on the oh earth? It's so terrible. It's like a dreadful disease. Nothing could be worse than when there's nothing on TV. I'd rather be a cowboy than just a blank out the walls. I've been before so many times. I can't remember them all. And I'm probably overthinking it. Was there a moment when the band ended? Uh, did you, at any point after that, did you kind of wake up one morning and just think, geez, now what? What do I do now? You know what I mean? Or was your path pretty clear? You could get jobs. You had no problem just kind of doing what you were doing and doing it well. And so there was never really an issue of like, boy, where do I go from here? No, you know, the only time there was, I, I never think about that that stuff. You know, I, I, I'm always moving forward one foot in front of the other. Everything's really good. But sometimes there's something traumatic in your life that happens yeah. that brings it apart, you know, that makes it all kind of fall apart. It makes you take you to that moment. And that moment was 10 years after the band broke up, I never saw the farewell video. And I had this really oh. beautiful 
we just moved into this new place up in the mountains, and and it was my son's cat, and he ran off, and I became so depressed. We had moved to the mountains. A mountain lion had probably taken my kid's cat. I started yeah. drinking tequila, and I put the goddamn video on, and I really? watched the farewell video for the first time in my life. enough of that shit. <laughs> really? Did you even finish it or watch the whole thing? Oh, no, no. I saw the whole thing, but, you know, I was okay. like, oh, all right, all right. You know, it really? Was, no, it, when you, I think that's the thing that you can't, um, you know, the, there's never going to be the good old days. Yeah, it, yeah. It's never going to be, you know, it really is never, everything's always new and everything's always fresh. And and if you and if you hear like the Oingo Bongo dance party now, it's gonna seem like oh my god, it's so fresh, it's so yeah. it's so in your face, and it's it's great, but it's just that moment, you know, and yeah. it's that moment yeah. that more and more people will, will get a chance to share. It's that moment that it's it's all great music, Danny. As a, we have a great catalog, and uh-huh. the, you do. the only advice that Danny has given me is like, hey man, why don't you guys write your own fucking stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and so. So oh, we're, trying, we're trying to do that, and we we do have plans to do that. But I don't I don't think who knows if that they would, anybody would buy that. Well, let me uh, ask you this: Is there aside from Cry of the Vatos, which I assume was mostly you? <laughs> there on the what song of all the Boingo Boingo songs would you say that you had the most input on if there is one unless it's equal across the board this is you know you're asking asking me a molecular question right now and molecular I'd like to I'd like to answer it this way in every note there's there's tension power and release in every note that I ever played in that band it's so important to me that I'm so proud of all of it. You know, no, yeah. man, I stink all over that. <laughs> yeah. That's why the best drum teacher, you know, he made sure that yeah. I could, you know, one of the things that was great about my drum teacher is everybody that studied with him sounded completely different. And everybody yeah, that's true. clear and beautiful. And they, and I, I couldn't understand how that could happen. Now I understand it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay. Uh, well, look, I um, I think I asked everything I wanted to ask, and uh, I just got to tell you, it's I mean, it's an absolute honor. I mean, you, I'm sure you get this kind of feedback all the time, but trust me, as you probably can understand, a kid from Salt Lake City, Boingo Boingo played a major part in my upbringing, and uh, oh, it's untouchable stuff. And I, I. Uh, 
I hope that you feel like you accomplished great things because if nothing else, you made a ton of Mormon kids in the 80s very, very, very happy, you know, as you did millions yeah. of other people around the world. But speaking for our culture and our, you know, that that time period, uh, you guys were huge, a big, big deal to us. So anyway, I just want to thank you for that. Great. And I want to come back there, and I want to make sure that you're going to be there, too, because I'm, I'm going to play my ass off for you. <laughs> I live in Denver now, but if I hear you're coming to Salt Lake City, I will make the drive over, and uh, I'll be the first one in line. That would be yeah, amazing. We'll do Denver, too. Oh, well, I would hope so. I, I would love that. Are you kidding? I would be there. I'll, I'll work on that this year. Okay. Yeah, please make it happen. Um well, look, and that's pretty much it, man. I uh, really appreciate you giving me the time. I know you're busy, and you carved out some time for me, and I'm so grateful. I'm talking to a hero. It's amazing. Thank you, man. All right, Johnny Vatos, there you have it. I mean, we were trying to pick some of the songs to play during this episode, Aaron and I. And, um, I mean, there's just, there's millions. It's endless. There is not one bad Oingo Boingo song. And um, I could have gone on forever and ever just talking music with Johnny Vatos. I, I'm kind of shocked. I can't believe I got to talk to the drummer of one of the greatest bands ever. Next week, we are going to be talking to Todd Duncan of the Crazy Eights. They were an American ska band out of Portland who mainly uh, were around in the 80s. They even appeared on Star Search, if you remember that show. You know, one of the things that I mentioned as being a criteria or um, point of interest for this podcast is bands who were big regionally, but maybe never quite broke out nationally. And the Crazy Eights definitely fit that mold. They were huge in Portland. They still perform up there sometimes, but it never quite spread out. And we talk a little bit about that in here. So hope you come back next week and enjoy that one as well. Big thanks to Aaron Syret, as always, for producing this. We love our listeners. Please connect up with us. Please communicate with us. We want to build relationships here. Thanks, everybody. Well, it's just like the weather. 